The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Rachel Miller-Howard. On today's show, we bring you a conversation with Derek Olson, who's the president of World Oregon. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined with Derek Olson, who is president of World Oregon. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. And so so just just in case people haven't caught up, uh, World Oregon was uh, World Affairs Council of Oregon. That's correct. And and um, which is a mouthful. Yes. And uh, right before we went on the air, you were saying it was it, it had been that since the 1950s. Uh, do you remember the conversations for the name change? Yes. So uh, our board uh, wanted to take a look at how we could evolve and stay a key uh, community organization and uh, worked with a nonprofit um, brand accelerator that helped us to, you know, find a way to communicate the essence of what we were, um, um, but in a way that would connect with uh, the changing face of Portland. And so we're really excited with the name World Oregon because we think that's the essential aspects of who we are and what we're trying to do, connect the world with Oregon and Oregon with the world. Yeah, and so we, we we jump sort of right into things. Let's take a let's let's back off a little bit. So World Oregon, formerly World Affairs Council of Oregon, you guys work with a lot of different. You sort of shoot off in different directions. We do. Um, so if our larger mission is connect uh, Oregon with the world, we have three primary areas we work on: international visitors, where we host through the U.S. Department of State professional visitors and youth from around the world, upwards of five to six hundred a year from hundred plus countries. We have public programs, including our famous International Speaker Series and also our Young Professionals programs that reach uh, audiences uh, throughout uh, the metro area especially and also online. And then we have a K-12 program, Global Classroom, that has materials that go into classrooms to help uh, really enrich uh, teachers and students' experience for international topics. So who, who is the main audience then? That's a good question. Uh, ideally, we're working uh, to connect with people that see different ways to be engaged globally. And so sometimes that is someone who wants to hear a PSU professor talk about a hot topic and have a discussion afterwards. And sometimes uh, that's a teacher working in a classroom. Uh, and while on the surface those could be different things, in reality we see that those are just different ways of engaging with the world and so uh, many of our uh, most active members are really engaged across across the board. They might go to a program, they might host uh, a visitor, say, from Tanzania for dinner, and their, uh, their son or their granddaughter might be in a classroom that engages with our materials. You guys are like an in, uh, intellectual airport. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> um, are there other organizations like this in, in San Francisco, in L.A., in New York, Chicago? 
Yes, there's a, a nationwide network called the World Affairs uh, Councils of America, as well as Global Ties U.S. We belong to both of those, one that focuses on the public programs and one that focuses on international visitors. And so we share best practices and speakers and ideas on, on how to engage our communities internationally. Um so I, I want to get this out of the way because I, I, I remembered as soon as we started the interview that I have a bone to pick with the World Affairs Council of Oregon. Okay. Uh, uh, it must have been about 10 years ago I was asked to host, you know, and, and the reason I wasn't asked to rehost is really my own fault. You guys host, hosted, still host perhaps a high school quiz. We did. We actually have phased that out. But yes, we did uh, host World Quests uh, for high school students. You know, and, and a lot of it was asking questions. There, there must have been hundreds of students in some, some big auditorium. I was the quiz master. And there were a lot of countries' names that I could not pronounce. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was uh, horrible and embarrassing <laughs> for myself and for everybody in the room. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a neat program, World Quest, and we did it for a while, and uh, we actually we phase it out for kids, although we use it as uh, a primary now for our annual fundraiser. So, uh, in fact, Jefferson Smith of X-Ray has, uh, has uh, hosted in the past um, to help us engage with, with our, our supporters. But for youth, um, part of it, we tried to get away from the trivia, and we've gotten into something called Young Leaders in Action, which uh, helps us engage in a deeper level with high school students. So while someone may or may not be able to uh, pronounce uh, you know, a challenging uh, country name, uh, hopefully it gets them to really dive in and look at what it means to be a globally engaged citizen here in your community. Yeah, so let, let's let's go through the three different groups, primary groups that, that you're working with, starting with the K through 12. So can you explain some of the ways that you are doing this? And then let's piggyback on that question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter for a kid in Bend, Oregon, to be able to be conversant about international affairs? Sure. Well, fundamentally, we believe that global engagement uh, is a, a key stepping stone to a more peaceful world. And um, I see that from my, my personal uh, international experience, but then from all of our um, the visitors that, w- that come and, and engage with us. And so we, we think if we're not starting with, with kids, then we're making a fundamental mistake, that this isn't just about um, – uh, uh, engaging adults, but giving kids a chance to really enrich their their um, education. And unfortunately, because of some of the funding challenges, I would say a lot of schools are strapped to be able to provide that international enrichment. So we want to provide tools, whether that's teacher training or hands-on um, culture boxes, which uh, teachers can bring in and the students can have a musical instrument or a game or a textile from a key country, uh, can really help that come to life. And when they get older... We have uh, youth uh, workshops, uh, forums, or the program I mentioned, Young Leaders in Action, where we dive in a more intensive level. It's really a continuum of getting kids um, to see why their personal engagement, it's not just for their, their personal fulfillment, but also for trying to make a better world. And, and is the focus, uh, when, when looking at other countries, uh, is it on political or is it on cultural? It's both. Uh, and I would say, uh, really, we're trying to have a, a broad scope view at the countries. Now, a, a classroom that takes, for instance, a culture box can dive into it in more depth. So they like, might say, take their culture boxes on China, of which we have several, and hopefully would then maybe pair that up with an international exchange student from China 
or, or someone else has a, a specific China experience to help bring that to life. So it's not just a surface level Wikipedia, uh, but it's more of a hands-on. And what what is really amazing is when you get a classroom where, say, there's a, a child who's a refugee or an immigrant from one of those countries, and they bring in, for instance, we have a brand new culture box in Somalia that you could bring in and a child from that culture, cultural background could really help explain to his fellow students, his or her fellow students, why that culture is so important to him or her. And and when you say cultural box, who's putting those together? So we put those together um, with the help of volunteers uh, and working closely with teachers. We have an advisory panel of teachers that help advise us, and we then um, connect them to the core uh, curriculum standards here in Oregon, and then teachers check them out as they would books and bring them into the classroom. Uh, and then we have an uh, an online sort of uh, is this a literal box? I mean, it's a literal box, like yes. a U-Haul yeah. moving box. It, it is. It's a it's a it's a literal box like that, and but then it has a virtual uh, one that's attached to it that will have clips to videos or music performances of the like. So uh, you know, there's no VHS tapes. It's the it's the modern uh, uh, equivalent, but we still find that hand on uh, materials, especially for younger K through six kids, can have an impact. Unlike uh, you know, just watching something online. And 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 are there pen pals involved? Then I mean, you sort of hinted that there's connections right. with uh, students internationally. Is that happening? So at the high school level, we're uh, fortunate enough to host several times a year uh, international youth ambassadors. They're called, and they connect then with local high school students in the Portland metro area to exchange ideas on leadership, to do service projects. Um, and so, for instance, you know, in past years, we've had uh, local high school um, students connect with Iraqi um, uh, students visiting here, and they've together done, for instance, a solve beach cleanup, or they've uh, worked in a community garden here. And so there's direct interaction. Uh, also, we help facilitate high school students here applying for virtual exchange programs where they can be virtual pen pals um, with kids from around the world, especially with a focus on developing countries. Uh, can I can I put you on the spot right now? And, and if you were to put together a cultural box of Portland, what are a few things that you might put into that? Well, uh, for those over 21, I would say the beer and wine, because that's such a, a, a key part of our, our, our culture. I'd say our music and art scene, um, you know, just walking around this building here is amazing um, uh, to be reminded how vibrant that art scene is. Um, and uh, I also would say really the the, the people and their stories. Uh, it's, it's amazing to, to me as someone who grew up here, moved away, and then came back to see how increasingly diverse and how exciting that is uh, and how much more connected to the world we are uh, every day. Yeah, and, and, and last question, and then we're going to move on to a different program and, and demographic that you work with. When, when you're talking about approaching uh, the, the cultural boxes from other countries— uh, and, and I'm wondering if this is a fair question. Is the, the, the first step into that how different those cultures are, or are you approaching it from how same they are? I'd say uh, fundamentally uh, every human being, wherever they are, have similar needs, wants, and uh, hopes. And a lot of that is just the circumstances of where we were uh, you know, born and raised. And, uh, you know, and that really... I think anyone who spent time in a developing country can see that, that um, people working incredibly hard and um, they may have different ways of approaching things than sort of the uh, stereotypical uh, uh, American way of doing it. But even when you break down the American culture, uh, you know, there's a lot of pieces to that. So we, we fundamentally look at, at people. 
um, but then want to help, especially the young students, to be able to understand that there's different ways of approaching things, looking things, and uh, that helps enrich your own enjoyment of life in your community if you understand that better. Derek Olson is president for World Oregon. This is the nonprofit Happy Hour. We are talking about your programs. We, we've been talking about the K through 12, and now, now jumping ahead a little bit, I, I guess in in people's gestation of their life, you also work with young professionals. Yes. So young professionals are a, a big part of our uh, what we call our global conversations, where we have these um, public programs that could range from a talk from a, a professor to uh, uh, a discussion about how climate change is impacting um, coffee or uh, other uh, key food and beverages to uh, the International Speaker Series, where we have um, you know high level high level speakers and the young professionals. They really help us to stay connected with a changing face of Portland. For instance, this October they hosted what they called a, a, a NGO showcase to look at about a dozen nonprofit organizations engaged internationally. Think Mercy Corps, but on a, a smaller basis. Yeah, and I, I would think that that would that emphasis of Portland has been intensifying uh, as as the, uh, the the business sector that um, I mean, obviously Nike and some other large companies, but but the the, the interaction of Portland has increased, uh, and certainly the the workforce, the twenty to thirty five year old workforce, uh, should be more engaged in that is is that part of the mission is that growing as part of your mission absolutely it's a key key part of it because uh you know portland is a very trade dependent uh city and region and oregon overall uh punches above its weight class as far as engagement with international trade and investment and so many of the key uh, in, uh, economic sectors here are very internationally engaged. And whether that's athletic and outdoor or software or natural products, um, they're either uh, have international companies investing here or they're exporting overseas. And young professionals really make up uh, you know, up-and-coming leaders in that workforce. And so we, we see a real engagement of ideas, people who are, who are already somehow working internationally, but they want to be able to have a wider discussion, not just about dollars and although that's very important, but also about, um, you know, things we're talking about before, culture, engagement, how dialogue, uh, you know, leads to a better place. And then then finally, uh, World Oregon hosts the International Visitors, and and 500 a year. Yeah, sometimes in a a really busy year when there's not government funding challenges, it's up to 600 um, from over 100-plus countries. Most of them come for short stays, but like, for instance, last fall we had uh, Young Leaders of the American Initiative, which was a month-long stay of of entrepreneurs um, from throughout Latin America who did uh, fellowships, for instance, at Ruby Jewel Ice Cream. uh, to get a hands-on uh, sense of what it takes to take their business to the next level. It's a really the international visitors probably gets us more deeper into the community. We have 300 plus people who will host one either in their house for dinner or in their place of work for a meeting on best practices. It's really an amazing program. And where where are you seeing most people coming from right now? I mean, that that, that would be a very telling uh, metric, I think, of right. um, where Portland is connected or sort of where uh, hotspots are flaring up. Sure. So it's a program in 
partnership with the U.S. Department of State. And so as the U.S. foreign policy has changed and evolved and, and countries over time have become independent and the world has diversified as far as political uh, uh, makeup, uh, you've seen a real shift from, say, you know, Western Europe to developing countries throughout the world. So we will still get you know, someone like I hosted in my house for dinner, the Welsh Minister for Future Generations, which is a pretty amazing fourth thought, you know, put into that title. But the most of our visitors come from developing countries um, in uh, South America, Africa, Asia, um, really where we and other partners throughout the U.S. are giving a real on-the-ground experience to up-and-coming leaders in developing countries um, and how we can exchange ideas. It's really a two-way street. It's not just we're teaching them. We're, we are learning from them just as much. Um, for instance, we had a group uh, that came with a woman from Cameroon. She looked at the bus project, you know, the amazing uh, way to uh, register young voters, took that back to her home country and started a similar nonprofit with a with a with a similar aims there in her home country. Uh, and that, that, that type of cross pollination, I mean, it would, would seem to be uh, exactly what you guys hope to accomplish. Absolutely. Um and it's fundamentally separate from politics. It's about um, leadership. It's about professional development in the areas that they're in, whether that's ecotourism or it's um, civic uh, community development or it's journalism. And we connect up the best experts here in the state, and it's not just in the Portland area, it's throughout the state, um, with uh, with those visitors, and then they bring that back home. And then for many, they stay in touch, especially now through digital means, stay in touch to exchange ideas as they grow. And, and even though it is about professional development, I, I mean, I think that it's hard for politics not to uh, cross into what World Oregon does. And I know that, that this is not the, the thrust of what, what you talk about, or, or but, but I, I have to imagine it's something that you worry about. With the White House be- like increasingly insular and that message uh, of, of isolationism and, and uh, uh, not collaboration, how does that impact the tone of what you're doing and also uh, the the substance of what World Oregon does or can do or feels like it needs to do? That's a great question. I mean, we, and ever since we were founded in the 50s, um, in a time where there was a lot of isolationist tendencies, as there are now, have been about engagement and dialogue. And Although we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, we will not hesitate to state our values. And we believe that people have a right to dialogue. We accept people for who they are. Um, you know, we believe in uh, truthful presentation. Uh, and so we don't shy away from things like climate change, uh, you know, discussions about racial justice and other key important issues, because we believe that those are fundamental discussion points we need to be having. So um, while we do partner with the U.S. Department of State on the international visitor programs. You know that is a, we see that as a as a nonpartisan one that's gone back um, since post World War II. So we fundamentally stay out of that, but at the same time, our values are very about openness and connection points and accepting people who they are. And whether that person is a refugee, an immigrant, or someone who grew up here, um, we're fundamentally open to having those discussions and having them be part of what we do. And unfortunately, some people don't see it that way. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am Phil Bussey. We are talking with Derek Olson, who is the president for World Oregon. You brought in some music. Yes. Um, so the song I'd, I'd love to have play is Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. And 
in addition to being a great song, uh, I thought it was fantastic how they stepped up and became part of the Willamette We Give Guide campaign, which just recently concluded, which we were honored for the first time to be part of, which is a way to help those young professionals we were talking about get engaged in philanthropy and giving back to their community. So I just thought it was fitting, and it's a great song. That was Portugal the Man. This is the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. We are talking with the president of World Oregon, Derek Olson. Let's let's talk about you a little bit. So your first trip abroad. So I grew up here, and I was fortunate when my uh, dad, who was an OHSU professor, uh, did a sabbatical in England and when I was in junior high. Uh, and so we lived a year there, and it really opened my eyes to the world. I uh, went to a British grammar school, and ever since then, I've kind of been connected and bit by the travel bug and, and really being engaged with the world. Do you remember what surprised you most when you travel? I mean, because it's you're, you're, I mean, there are some minor English or uh, language barrier there, but not much. Um, what was it that, that surprised you? 
Well, it's something that I've kind of remembered to this day, and I took when I was a foreign service officer, is that uh, everyone, when they travel in a little way, is an ambassador of their country. And so even if you may not like it, when you're out on the playground or you're over dinner, you're representing the good, the bad, all the the uh, of your of your culture and your country. And it doesn't mean you necessarily have to agree with all the politics of it, but I think you need to be able to state the case of what you're what you're about and and why is it important and uh, where you might be able to learn or share things that that you do. And so I I saw that at an early age and the playground and I think that applied to the time when I lived abroad as a professional. Did you return with an English accent? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of one, got a little teasing for that. Um Back in uh, junior high. Yeah, it, it happens at that age, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and then you were a foreign service agent, you said? Yeah, so I was a foreign service officer with the U.S. Department of State for 13 years, mostly as a political officer, but I worked also in consular affairs, so helping Americans when get in trouble overseas, um, uh, or foreign citizens applying for visas, as well as working on economic issues. But fundamentally, I worked on issues of democracy, human rights uh, in developing countries in Latin America which you know is is pretty inspiring to see um, that region and how far it's come from the days of dictatorship to um, mostly democracies and free market economies throughout. It's um, while there's still a lot of challenges, it's it's pretty inspiring. And and uh, with your work in in, in Central America, uh, um, where where do you see World Oregon pointing its compass mostly? And I know that's a tough question because you guys are are open to everywhere, but is there a geographic region that, that Portland is currently really developing its relationships with? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, East Asia, I would say, is the one that Portland and Oregon and the Northwest more broadly is more connected to than the rest of the country. So um, Japan, uh, Greater China, uh, Korea, uh, and Southeast Asia, I think, really are uh, where you see those primary economic but also cultural connections. Um, and so while we want to emphasize that, we also want to make sure that we stay connected with not only traditional connections like in Europe, but ones that really we need to enhance more in developing countries. So whether that's Latin America, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, where we have a Pan-African Youth Leadership Exchange Program that we're engaged in most years, uh, or other developing countries, I think that's where a lot of times there can be uh, engagement that our organization can pay more role than, say, the UK, which is, you know, a fascinating country, but a lot of people visit on their own or learn about because of uh, of other ways or culture. And so our organization can sometimes help connect someone up, for instance, like with the Somali culture box in a way that they may not have thought of because it's not on their travel agenda or it's not something that they grew up with. Yeah, I don't think there are any direct flights from PDX to Somalia. No. And I don't know that Delta's considering any yet. No, you know, it's interesting, though, because we partner closely with the port. And, you know, Delta, we're the smallest uh, metro area in the U.S. that is a nonstop flight to both Europe and Asia. And I don't think many people know that, but it shows how hard this community fights to stay engaged internationally and why that's not just for business and tourism, but a lot of that is cultural and other uh, exchanges of ideas. Um, and it's pretty exciting because it's something that um, I don't think a lot of people realize and other communities really are jealous of. And and so there's a number of ways people can get involved. One one sort of easy way is the lecture series. Yes. Uh, so and this this year's theme: future leaders, global voices. Absolutely. Um, we're just putting the finishing touches on that. Um, it's really 
We want to have a more diverse, younger set of speakers. We've been working on that the last several years. We had Sean King speak, uh, Lulu Garcia Navarro and others, um, so that there will always be the place for the retired ambassador speaking. But that's not going to predominate. Uh, we want people who are up-and-coming leaders engaging uh, on international issues. Dick Olson is president for World Oregon. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for all the work that you guys do. Thanks. I appreciate it. And I encourage people to get engaged with us um, and look to host uh, in their community or come to one of our events at worldoregon.org. Thanks again. The nonprofit happy hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corp that holds to a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our producer is me, Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page questions, comments, and ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.